What's up, gang? Thanks for joining me. We're back here in Michigan. Had a great time in California. Back here in the... It's cold here in Michigan, which is frankly bullshit because it's the first week in April. I know this happens here. I get it. I lived in Michigan a lot, a lot of my life, but it's still bullshit. That it snowed today for a little bit. I mean, come on. Come on, guys. What's going on? Anyways, glad to be back here in Michigan to relax and just sleep for a few days. <laughs> uh, I go to New York on Monday for the rest of the month, so we're just going to ride out the weekend and just sleep and enjoy it. I haven't been sleeping the best lately, so even as I'm recording this, I'm like, I'm ex- this, today's one of those days where like, I made a nice dinner, or not a nice dinner, I made a nice lunch with a friend of mine, and we had a glass of red wine with lunch, and it was one of those days where it's like, just a glass of red wine knocked me out. I had one glass of wine, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't do this. So, people are going to start thinking I have a drinking problem, because last week I was like, oh my god, I was so hungover, I couldn't do my, I couldn't record the episode, (laughs) which was true. Um, Had a little fun in LA, but I need to pace myself, I make sure I pace myself for New York. It's just, you know, California, I, you know, hadn't been around the, some of the comedy clubs in a good minute. Like, I'd, I'd made a couple of California trips, but hadn't really, like, spent that kind of time at the comedy store in years. And it was just, you know, it was great. Don't need to go into all that like we did last week. But actually, today is, I believe, the 50th anniversary for the comedy store. So, shout out to the comedy store. Some of the best and worst memories of my adult life were there. And w- without the comedy store... I don't know if I would have met, I mean, 80, 90% of my friends in comedy. Now, the Hollywood Improv was very influential, but that wasn't where I made, like, I made good friendships there, good connections, but the comedy store is where you would hang out for just hours on end and just be on the patio and waiting four, five, six hours to go on stage on some of those potluck nights back in the day, Sunday, Monday. Now, I believe it's only on Monday nights where some of the up-and-coming comics go up and get the stage time. But anyways, happy 50 to the Comedy Store, a special place. And and honestly, it felt like it felt like the old days. They said even better uh, when I went back. Cause it's like, you know, a lot of my friends who were kind of up and comers back then are now like the big dogs there and kind of like run the show. And so it's like, oh, this is fun. This is great. Even the booker, Emily LaFord, there was a big article about her uh, like yesterday, the day before about her taking over the comedy store as a talent booker and like just taking over the legacy of of the, 50, the last 50 years of the comedy store. And I hope that she stays the booker for forever. I know this isn't a comedy podcast, but it's fun to talk comedy. And whether you... I've noticed, just a sidebar, we'll start talking about some some finance stuff in a second, but I've, I've definitely noticed that like... Dude, everyone likes talking about comedy. To be honest, I'm not saying like I talk for forever about it, but... I, people often ask about it and always ask different, you know, it's something people want to talk about. It's an interesting life. It's weird. Um, it's full of crazy people that are interesting and insane, but it's something that people want to know about. It's also one of those things that like a lot of people aspire to do, but may or may not ever do. Most never do it, but there's some people that aspire to it and go, Oh, I could do that. I could do it. So it's like, I, and, and I did comedy for so long, still do that. It's like, it's hard to not talk about it. But anyways, happy 50 to the comedy store. Um, definitely the best club, one of the best clubs in America, if not the best, um, it's on that top tier, you know, the improv, the comedy store, the cellar, laugh factory is bullshit. And we all know it. We all know it. Okay. Laugh factory is fine, but no one's hanging out the factory. 
the factories where you go bomb for tourists while you get ready for the real show at the comedy store. <laughs> the factory was good to me back in the day, but still, fuck them. They weren't that good to me. Okay, not versus the improv in the comedy store. Anyways, dude, I just finished. I love how many like documentaries are on Netflix now about grifters. We talked about it a little bit. I love a good grift. I talk about it all the time. I love a good grift. One of my central themes every week is you know learn know the world in which we live and learn to operate within it and these grifters have found a great way to do it just finished watching bad vegan on the old netflix and this does relate to finance because uh these people are spending millions of dollars on bullshit if you've seen bad vegan there's gonna be some spoilers here but let's be honest once you read the synopsis like it's easy to figure out the whole show without watching it um this woman who owned a very fancy, successful vegan restaurant in New York City got swindled by a fat guy for like two million. He even took like a half million from his her mother at one point, four hundred fifty grand, and he was just like a degenerate gambler. Like he kind of like used a little bit of money to like flash for her initially and kind of win her over, and then would just use her and take her money to the tune of like two mil. And a half mil from her mom. And like the whole time she's playing victim, like, look, I, I I get it, but like you just handed this money over. It's like you knew you knew this wasn't going into like the restaurant. You knew this wasn't going in, you knew you had to have known this was going like to drugs or to something like that. Like I mean, you were staying in casinos. You were staying in casinos. You didn't think some of that money was going to the tables. It's like I feel bad for her, but not really. Not really at all, dude. Because it's like you handed over all this money to this guy who clearly swindled you. And it just goes to show how not every woman, woman, but certain women like this can be wooed by money. Because he showed he showed her that he had money for all of like 20 minutes. And then it was like, hey, give me money. I'm like, shit, do I need to take a page out of this book here? Do I need to use some of my cash to woo someone over? I have enough cash to woo someone quite nicely for a little while before I turn the table and say, hey, give me $100,000. Or, hey, give me a quarter million. And these women hand it over. What? What the fuck is going on? What, where did I go wrong? You know, I'm psyched if a woman I'm dating buys me dinner, let alone hands over a check for six figs. <laughs> what? I mean, I'm in the wrong business here doing a, a free podcast like a moron. I could be grifting uh, New York socialites. Not a bad life. I think I might have to get into it. It was four episodes. It was fine. It was good. It wasn't that great. Um, and then I started watching The Crypto King right afterwards. Now, that one's fun. I'm only like 15 minutes into it. But I'm hoping that this guy who basically started a crypto exchange in Canada, and it all looks like he set up, he all, it, I've only seen like 15 minutes of it in the preview. And just from that, I, it, it all looks like he set up this crypto exchange to at one point take all this money and be like, peace out. I got $200 million. I'm dead or faking my death. Get plastic surgery. Change my identity. Change this. Change that. They'll never catch you. Not with that kind of cash, especially if it's in Bitcoin. No way, dude. No way. So <clears throat> respect to the crypto king. I don't know if he's still out there. I don't, I'm sure he is. I don't know what's going on. And and it's funny when people, to me, 
I like that doc, and I'm not fully done with it, but I kind of like it. There's a couple things that I like about it. One, one of the things I really enjoyed was some of the other crypto guys in there talked about how every time there's like a Bitcoin surge, you have people that become more just believers of the technology and of the system, and then people that come in and try to get rich quick. And and to be honest, there's kind of a, a good lesson here where like one of the guys that they're interviewing is a software engineer, and he's like, this is why I talk about having like uh, your network, uh, your network is your net worth, like having friends who invest and investing along with friends and talking about it because it's like this guy in during the, I think the 2017 pump when Bitcoin made its first $20,000 run, which even if, again, explaining the importance of long-term investing, even if you bought at the top at seven in 2017 at $20,000 and it crashed back down to more than half, less than half of that went back down so hard, even if you bought at the top there, we, you're still doing more than double up now, right? Because Bitcoin's at 43, 44, went up to 69 at one point, almost 70. So it's like showing the importance of long-term investing. But when this guy saw his friends making money, he was like, fuck that. Why don't I make some money? I want in on this. He didn't want to be left behind by his friends. And so he took out three loans to the tune of $85,000 and put it in cryptos. I don't know which ones. I'm not that far yet, but I'm sure he put it heavily in Bitcoin. And, and honestly, any of them he put in back then probably pumped at one point to make a shitload of money and so it just goes to show where it's like it helps to have people who invest in your circle and talk about it because you'll get FOMO if your friends sitting there talking about how much money they made in the stock market or on Tesla or whatever you're gonna be like hey man how do I do that right I mean it's only a natural thing so I think that's a very important lesson that I kind of picked up there and then again the difference between like real believers of Bitcoin and people that try to get rich quick and Bitcoin's not a get rich quick scheme. It's yeah. If you hit it right, sure. If you hit it perfectly, it could be same with the stock market, but we just know realistically that's not going to happen. So it's, it's not like that. I talk about all the time. Like I've missed, I invest in Bitcoin because I believe in the, the system. I believe in the economics of it. I, don't, I couldn't tell you how it's mined. I know it's much a complex, um, you know, ca uh, calculations by supercomputers basically that's about as much as i know about bitcoin mining and that's all you need to know because if you understand the economics of it you're like you'll still make money i'm up over 100 percent on bitcoin so it's like just stay in it you know and, and um i like there that it kind of like as i'm watching it i'm like oh this is this is you know people talking about 2013 buying bitcoin at like 100 bucks one guy bought it for two dollars and you're just like oh my god this is great but it's like that's how it is you know you look back now and it's easy to go oh wow but even then, buying Bitcoin at 100 was risky. I remember when Bitcoin, the earliest I can remember Bitcoin price, it was 500 per Bitcoin. And this was before it went on that $20,000 surge in 2017. And I didn't buy it just because I didn't understand enough about it. And to be honest, I didn't have any fucking money. Investing means you have to have like spare cash that you don't touch. I've never pulled money from Bitcoin, Ethereum, or any of my brokerage accounts. I've never pulled from any of them. I just send money, watch it grow, add more to it. Um, and hopefully that stays the case, knock on wood. But I always tell people, it's like when you're investing, you can't, it has to be money you're not going to touch for five, five to 10. And that time moves quick. Time moves very quick. But um, that's kind of how you have to approach it. You can't like, and to be honest, I think starting like last year, I keep hardly anything in cash savings. I may keep a few thousand in cash, but most of my like cash savings, quote unquote cash savings, it's just in Bitcoin. You know, I'd always keep like 10 grand in a savings account. And I just kind of at one point just added it all to Bitcoin. Uh, I already had some there and I was like, fuck it. Let's get, let's just put all this in Bitcoin. Yes, it's going to, it could be volatile, but 
in the long run, my bank's giving me 50 cents a month for this money. So I'll take my chances with Bitcoin. There's enough institutional money behind it. I don't need to defend Bitcoin at this point. I just think the crypto king is great. And I think it's great that if he did steal all that money, good for him. Um, that also cracks me up about Bitcoin when like anytime like there's a hack or people lose their money, they're like, oh my God, the whole system's bullshit. You know how much, you know how much people like, dude, I've had my bank account hacked like three times in the last year. Now my bank catches it every time. Well, not hacked, but it's been attempted to. <coughs> I've had three debit cards sent to me in the last year because hackers, you know, will just run algos. They'll just run computers to guess numbers and try to hit something. And eventually they'll get it. And so I had, yeah, three debit cards in place last year. So it's just funny when things happen to Bitcoin. It's like, hey, this also happens to fiat currency all the time. Or when you look at like, oh, well, it's expensive to mine and store and, and, and all. it's okay. So is cash. How expensive is it? To, have you seen a Brinks truck? It's not a fucking Prius. Okay. Gas is a million dollars a gallon right now. So moving cash is expensive. You have to have some grunt with a gun, two guys with guns, right? You're paying who knows how much driving around a tank that gets zero miles a gallon. So it's like, hey, there's pros and cons to everything. The nice thing about Bitcoin is, is you transfer it very easily. It's very safe. It's safer than cash. And um, it's not controlled by the central banks, which is the most important thing. Um, again, this is a shit people should know about. I don't know why I'm just rambling. I'm just going on a Bitcoin defense. Let's get into some options stuff. I got back into my options game this week. Paper trading almost every day. Had to uh, run some errands today, so didn't have time to do it. But did some NVIDIA puts this week, Tesla puts that paid. And then did a Shopify call that pretty much I, I think I lost. I just wiped out all the gains with the Shopify call. And what I like about paper trading for just a, a ton of things is like, I'm learning the painful lessons via fake money. So, for example, with that Shopify call, like I made both the Tesla and the NVIDIA puts, I made based on patterns, like learning the Japanese candlestick patterns. I, I, I caught a couple of patterns. And then what I'll do with our Discord, the Keanu Trades Discord, is I don't, I don't follow that blindly. Of course, I check it every day, especially if I'm doing any trades, to see what the guys are saying and gals. Um, but... I don't follow it blindly. You can. You probably could and, and make a few bucks. But I use it just to validate what I'm looking at. So I'll go, okay, this looks like I might do, you know, I'm looking at this put here. And I'll log into the Discord and be like, oh, they're thinking the same thing. So I use it just for confirmation and to get ideas about other stuff. Because, like, there's so many things moving in so many different charts and different time frames that it helps to have a group looking at different things to be like, oh, they caught this that I missed. And I caught this that they missed. So it's... The community of options is very important. And so what I learned with that Shopify call is really just the importance of stop losses. That was a $1,500 call that basically is worthless. It went from $1,500 to like $100 or like $50. And now it's like, and to be honest, I probably would have cut it sooner if it wasn't on paper. But even then, by the time I looked to cut it, it probably lost over 1000 of value. And so because it's like it was one of those calls, it was a weekly and I only had like a couple of days left. And so honestly, on some of these daily and weekly calls or puts, like if you're not right with like rather relatively quickly, you're probably just going to lose. Now, that's not an absolute truth. But from what I've noticed is if you're wrong within like the day, <laughs> you're probably going to stay wrong. Barring overnight swings, because that's a different strategy that you're employing. But 
honestly, it's if the contract doesn't move in your favor rather quickly, you're going to lose it. That's where all that theta, whatever theta decay, as they call it, your your cost for every day, your contract doesn't hit, you know. And so that Shopify call, I should have put in a stop loss after like 500 bucks and been like, OK, cool. I was wrong enough, but I only lost 500, not 1500. And so you realize I'm going to look at the total value of my account. I'm like, man, if I would have put in a stop loss, I probably would have had a still positive week thus far because those puts on Tesla and Nvidia paid off. And so it's like, I need to, that's one thing. But again, glad I learned that lesson on paper, not with my real money. Cause you're like, Oh shit. I see why. Cause stop losses aren't something I would use for my regular investments. I know people that do, but they're pussies. Honestly, we put in a stop loss from your tech stocks. You're an idiot because it's going to, it's going to, you're going to sell at the bottom. And like, sometimes like, as you all know, we've been in the market long enough. The big money sometimes pushes you to that point on purpose because they want to get your shares. And if they're running puts, they're making a shitload of money in the process. It's win-win for them. Make big money on the fall, pick up your stock on the cheap, make the call on the way back up. It's endless. And so, um, Putting in stop losses for regular investing to me is silly, but for options, it's just super important because things move so quickly. And like I said, if you're not right, and again, this is just from my experience, I've been paper trading for just over a month, learning options since probably like February. And so if you, yeah, just from what I've noticed, if you're not, if you're not right relatively quickly, uh, just get out. And then also something I learned is when you're buying like for example, the Tesla contract and Shopify only bought one because they were like a thousand dollars per, or the Shopify was fifteen hundred. But the Nvidia ones weren't expensive. Same with like Square options. Some of the Square options I've done that I've been right on, they weren't super expensive. So I'll buy three, four, or five contracts just because if you're right, you can scale out uh, and take profits on the way up. I did that with the Nvidia puts. I think I bought three, sold one after I made some money, then sold another one, and then let one run, and then still sold that one a little early. I should have let that one run to expiration because. Why not? I already made my profit and then it would have really paid off. Even that one contract would have paid quite nicely because everything took shit a couple days ago because the Fed meeting, what, Wednesday, yesterday, kind of a decent reversal today. Markets were down quite a bit and ended up positive. Um, so this volatility is great for options. Like I said, I spent all this time like seeing things swing all, all over the place and now it's kind of like um, you can definitely use your advantage with the options game. So, and again, I'm not fully there yet, but I'm seeing why and there's more people trading options now than ever. And so especially when you mix it with a hedge fund, algo trading and all that, it's like, it's a feast out there, gang. It's a feast. Um, some other news. I know we talked about Amazon last couple of weeks. One quick thing I just wanted to mention. I saw an article like yesterday or two days ago on CNBC, like on Twitter, and they tweeted the top 10, here, I'll pull it up, the top 10 companies to work for, according to LinkedIn, of course. So... By the way, when I first saw that, I was like, well, they're definitely not polling like the factory workers, like the warehouse workers and the drivers and shit. Um, 10 best companies to work for in 2022, according to LinkedIn. Number one was Amazon. Number two, Google. Number three, Wells Fargo. Four, JP Morgan. Five, Walmart. Six, IBM. Seven, AT&T. Eight, Bank of America. Nine, Apple. Ten, Comcast. Again, these are all people working in the office because they're using LinkedIn. And who the fuck that works in a warehouse? Like, what what cable guy do you know uses LinkedIn? What Amazon warehouse worker uses LinkedIn? They don't. They make like eighteen dollars an hour. They're not building profiles online to be like, ooh, let me let me connect with other managers on the floor. That's not happening. And so when I saw this list, I was like, yeah, that's great. But this is all just with their. And, and also, you'll notice a lot of these companies on here, are like big tech or banking, people that have made shitloads of money recently. So the reason that they're saying this is their stock compensation packages are fat. 
another thing we talked about last week and the week before with all these stock splits. So they're getting hella compensation packages. Yeah, I'll put up with a lot if you give me a quarter mil a year in uh, stock options. But they tweeted that. And then the same day, a friend of mine posted a, a study of mult- muscular skeletal injuries per 10,000 full-time employees. Amazon warehouses versus non-Amazon warehouses versus all private businesses. It's insane. Like Amazon is way up on the chart of musculoskeletal injuries per 10,000 full-time employees. This is all their warehouse workers. So I'm like, oh, I was right. They're not checking LinkedIn. They're not, uh, te- they're not checking all the drivers and the warehouse workers who are breaking their back to lift your bullshit Amazon Prime packages and my bullshit Amazon Prime packages. Um, I noticed that with Glassdoor as well. Some of the higher ranking, I think NVIDIA was number one on Glassdoor. It's like, yeah, dude, they've been killing it. Their, their employees probably get hella stock options. And then, you know, these camp, these, uh, these tech campuses, these corporate campuses look nicer than where I went to college. You're like, oh shit, you got a better student union than major universities. But it's like your employee lounge. I don't know what to call it. Anyways, um, yeah, and with the options, so I'm almost done with the Japanese Candlestick book. I've read, watched through a couple of YouTube videos, the Weeble one, that's like two and a half hours. And then one of the guys from the Discord, Champion Vibe, hit this his YouTube channel, and I believe his name on Discord. But going through his, he's got like a 14, I think a 14 or 15 step YouTube tutorial, free YouTube tutorial about charting and, and options and stuff like that. If you know stocks, you can start at video three, I believe, because the first two or three videos, he explains like basic, like what's a stock? What's equity? You know, it's, how do you buy and sell it? Like basically like very basic information. But on video three, he starts to get into the option stuff. So almost done with the Japanese candlestick book. Again, highly recommend that book if you haven't read it. It's dense to get through, but boy, is it good. And then the, uh, what else? YouTube, Champion Vibes videos. That's what I'm going through right now. And then there's also a couple more books in the Keanu Trades education, like Google Drive I'll go through. Um, But honestly, the Japanese Candlestick one with some note cards, I think would be more than enough because I think Keanu preaches this too. But like you don't need to memorize and learn like every pattern. Just know a few very well. And, And some are better than others, obviously. Uh, some patterns are very rare, so they're not worth wasting your brain space on. Um, so that's just, again, that was something that I learned from uh, that book. So definitely worth getting. Check that out. Add in the YouTube. I'll keep posted on all that. I'll try to post more of my paper trades in the Discord and all that stuff. I've been bad about that. But that's something we changed their settings for how you can screenshot on Thinkorswim or on TD Ameritrade. I can't screenshot for security policy anymore. I wonder if that's an Android thing because I... See, all my friends, the iPhone always doing that shit. And so, like, I can't screenshot my Schwab account on my phone for security reasons. And so, I they just changed that on Thinkorswim. So, that's kind of annoying. So, it's harder to share them, but I will mention what I'm doing. I'll talk about them on here, I guess. And speaking of phones, I did officially order an iPhone. Boo. I love my Android, but ordered the new iPhone. Well, that's not new anymore. I guess I ordered a new version. I got the green one, the one that just came out, the green one I got. 13 pro not the max because i'm not trying to carry an ipad in my pocket but excited to get it uh mainly because here's the thing i love android as most people know but everyone i know is on iphone 
And it's so annoying. Like even like my brother-in-law or my sister send me pictures of my nephews or my niece. I have to like text them back and be like, hey, can you send that on Facebook or Instagram? Because Android and Apple hate each other and it sent over a grainy video. So I'm looking forward to like making more videos, more editing, it working better with my MacBook. So I know it'll work better with all this stuff. Also, a lot of the Keanu Trades guys, there's like group chats outside of Discord. They're on, on uh, iMessages. Also, I know my fantasy football group will be excited because of the 10 of us or 11 of us, I was the only one that didn't have an Android. And that was like such a problem last year for our group chat. And by the way, if you uh, have an iPhone and you're having trouble with like your friends on Android with group chats, uh, grow up and get WhatsApp, like all your friends on Android. Get WhatsApp. Are you not international? Do you not go overseas every once in a while? Do you not have any international friends? Because WhatsApp is all the rage, okay? And uh, especially overseas, out of Europe, it's huge. Like my friends in Iceland, that's that's where I communicate with a lot of them and Instagram. But get on it. The only thing that sucks about WhatsApp is it's owned by Facebook. Fucking Zuckerberg, get off my shit. They do say it's end-to-end encrypted, but I mean, how much do we believe that shit? Facebook said they were protecting our data for years, and they were just reading it to all their friends and selling it to the government. <laughs> so, um, and speaking of social media, hey, have we not talked about this yet? Elon buys Twitter. Well, not all of it, but he's their largest shareholder now. Bought 9.2% of the company. Now their largest shareholder. Uh, it's a little weird. Honestly, I, I like Elon, but it's a little, it seems a little like, not dictator, but it almost feels like it, where it's like he makes, he has such power on Twitter and he uses it for his own gain, as he should if you have that kind of power. Like when Trump was in office, I kept saying, I'm like, if he's not tweeting for his own stock moves, he's an idiot. You should absolutely be doing that. Yeah, it should be illegal, but if it's legal, do it. What? You're not going to like just make money off your trades if you can aff- aff- like affect the market? Come on now. So <clears throat> Elon buying Twitter, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I think it's kind of funny because it's like the first thing I thought was like, well, now he has immunity on Twitter. He's never going to get kicked off Twitter. He's our largest shareholder. <laughs> so it's like like when, when Trump was getting all thrown off and everyone's going after Jack Dorsey, it's like Jack never got thrown off Twitter because he owns Twitter his company and so and it kind of goes back to what i said uh, a few episodes back if you look at when twitter was uh when jack dorsey stepped down as the ceo of twitter to focus more on square slash block i kept saying this is great for both companies he can focus on that fin he could focus on the fintech and all the crypto stuff he loves with square and then someone that actually gives a shit can grow Twitter and focus on it. Because I do think Twitter is a very valuable social media. When you look at like Facebook, Instagram, and everything, like Twitter has stood the test of time. I've been on Twitter since 2009, and it's bigger than ever, I feel. Especially for this finance stuff. Like Twitter Spaces is huge. Like there's, it's, it's I don't know. There's a lot of different subcultures on Twitter. Journalists are all over Twitter. That's not really a good thing. But it's a dominant, it's a dominant force. Um, and I think Elon taking over it is going to help the company. Now I think, is it right, wrong or the other that he did it? I mean, whatever. I think here's the thing, whether it's right or wrong, Elon does what I think a billionaire would do. Like if I had all that money, he kind of does stuff that I would do. Not everything, but that's one thing I would do. Like, oh, I like to say things on Twitter. I might get kicked off of it. Why don't I just, why don't I just buy the company? Why, Why don't I just become their largest shareholder? All right. Not a bad investment. He's already made a shitload off of it. I looked up his purchases. He bought the stock from here. I saved his purchases. He was buying it like hundreds of thousands of shares at a time, obviously. Let's see. Um, oh, shit. He was buying like millions of shares at a time. 
started at the end of January and literally bought every single trading day the month of February, the month of March. That's it. Yeah, he bought it every single day for two months. And most prices he bought it were like 36, 33, 34, 32. And I think Twitter went up to like 56 on the news. So he made quite a bit of cash already. Now, I don't think he's going to sell it. Yeah, Twitter's at 48. Took a little bit of a cool off. But it went on quite a pump just from that news. It went up like 30% that day alone. That was pretty gnarly. And so it's just funny. Like, And like, why didn't Trump do that? Like, why didn't Trump just buy? I guess he was busy being the president and all. But it's like, why didn't Trump do that? If he was worried about getting kicked off Twitter, just buy, buy it. I don't think it's the thing, though. Trump had money, but he didn't have that much money. Right? I think that's kind of what people realize or what he realizes. Like, hey, the guy can, he no doubt has ways to make money and will always be okay. But we're talking Elon's Twitter investments, $3 billion. Trump does not have $3 billion in cash sitting around. There's no way. So he wouldn't have had the means to do that. Because I've seen people on Twitter be like, why didn't Trump just do that? It's like, dude, he didn't have that kind of cash. Elon does. Um, and it would look crazy weird if Trump bought it. <laughs> well, he's the president, but became like the biggest investor of Twitter as a president while he's saying all this crazy shit on Twitter. It was funny. I do miss Trump on Twitter. I wish he was back on there. That was a fun time. People get mad, but it's like, look, man, whatever. He's allowed to say what he wants. It's up to you to interpret it one way or the other. Um, and that should hold true for most stuff. It's like, look, man, you don't have to believe the shit. Anyways, um, I just think it's interesting that he did that. I don't know how it's going to play out other than I think you'll Elon will probably get a little more mouthy on Twitter. Why wouldn't he? I would. What you going to say to me now, bitch? <laughs> well, it's funny, too. As I was talking about this Twitter stuff, I pulled up my my Apple like stock tracker. Um, some, some some notes on Shopify. I keep saying how it's a great company. Uh, the stock is taking quite a hit at 643. It's a bargain. I should probably look at the charts and see if there's some call options. Possibly I already lost on a call, but hey, we could take another one. And funny, one of the first articles I see related to employee compensation, Shopify to overhaul employee compensation with choice between cash and stock. So more and more companies are doing this shit. Give your employees that stock option. Uh, also, I see there's an article here from Seeking Alpha. Shopify tracks new bull as Wells Fargo forecasts strong sales and market share gains. Let's see what their price target was. Did they give one? Well, that's fun. Maybe click on the thing. We didn't give it. They called it. They gave it an overrate rating. Analyst Jeff Cantwell and team called Shopify a disruptor that they see transitioning into a period of characterized by con- <laughs> that they see transitioning into a period characterized by continued expansion in the company's merchant base and a further deepening of customer relationships. Shopify has also seen capturing disproportionate market share over the next several years. We look ahead, we think gross market value should continue to expand to 2022 23, 30 to 27%. Yeah. They didn't give a price target though. Wait, what? Wells Fargo views the current risk reward profile in shop as favorable and believes shares will appreciate to 13.6 times the firm's 2023 revenue forecast <laughs> on strong execution. There are now 25 equivalent buy ratings on shop versus 18 hold and one sell equivalent. So there you go. <clears throat> Don't sell good companies when, when things are going sideways. That's when you buy them. Because the trading range, the 52-week range on Shopify is $510 to almost $1,800. That's quite a fucking swing. And we are very close to the bottom of that at 643 
I might honestly, if I wasn't saving some of my cash for options trading, it'd be hard not to pick up like a couple of shares of Shopify. I might still shit. If it goes, man, I, that's a really hard one. Honestly, at 643, that's going to be a tough one to ignore. If it goes into the fives, I got to just figure out what I got to do to fucking buy a couple of shares. Cause why not? I have the cash. I just want to use, save it for options, but man, that's kind of undeniable. Also, uh, Palo Alto Networks, again, continues to do its thing. 616 a share. We're seeing price targets for 700, 750. I had a friend text me and say, hey, what's a good price to come in at it? Look, if you can get it under six, I think I think we'll get under six again. So if you can snag it under six, go for it. My last, my highest purchase was 500 bucks right on, like 501, I think maybe. That was my highest. If you Obviously, if it goes down to there, you know, it's not a bad price, but it kind of went on a tear after that. Not right away. It went, it went on some peaks and valleys for a little bit, and I just kind of wrote it out as we do. But again, another great one, 615 a share, 616 a share, but still not even a $100 billion market cap, $60 billion. Um, something we've talked about with uh, these cybersecurity stocks for, fuck, over a year now, two years, saying how Palo Alto is the move. It's not over overvalued like some of these other ones. All right, I think that's a good quick update on some of the current... Some of the stuff I'm looking at, NVIDIA looks nice, 242, Square is fine at 125. But again, we'll see how these things go. Um, we might see Square close to 100 again. So if you do, load up another fucking 10 shares, baby. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's good enough. Those are the ones that are sticking out to me that look very attractive because other stuff too is, you know, although markets have taken a hit, they've kind of corrected back quite nicely. Like Amazon's back at 3,200. Not a bad buy there, just not exciting. Um, Apple 172 is getting close to back to its its 52 week high of 182. Tesla's back over a thousand, uh, 10.57. So you know, really the big ones that stick out of my main portfolio are Shopify. Wow, that's really the big one. 6.43 a share. And outside of that, you know, options trading. So long term investing is still something we never let go of and we always keep doing. But options is where we're, I'm focused right now for the foreseeable future. And then and then when things come up, like opportunities come up. Um, pick up some shares on the cheap, which I think I might have to do with Shopify this week. So, and honestly, one thing I like about, even though I haven't been going into full into options yet, but even just doing it now, like even on some of those red days, it's kind of exciting because you're like, oh shit, I could play some puts here. What's, what's, what's the charts looking like? So it kind of distracts you from like the market turning into shit sometimes. It kind of helps you weather that out because you're like, okay, well I can still make money now. And I know I'm not going to sell my long-term investment. So let's make some money during this volatility. And then if it goes really low, I'll buy some extra shares. And when it comes up, we're really in shape. So you're seeing how it all kind of comes together here. You don't let go of that long-term investing. But if you can supplement it with those options trading, damn, what a you're in business, you know? And again, like we always say, it's not easy. I've been studying options for months and I still don't think I have like a good grasp. I mean, I have a good grasp, but you know, I've, I've tried to explain options to friends of mine who've been investing for a decade. And I've, I've tried to explain to it multiple times. And they're like, what? Huh? Wait, so I get the 100 shares at the end? It's like, look, rarely are you even exercising your right to get the options. You're just trading the contracts. The contract goes up in price and then you trade based on the jump. You'll learn all this as you get into it if you want to. So if you want to get into that, you know, follow the steps and follow, uh, you know, the stuff I mentioned, the books, the YouTube, join the Discord. Hit me up if you want in the Discord. There's a free public access. There's premium, obviously. 
But if you want in it, hit me up. I always post the links when I go on to uh, Facebook, not Facebook, when I go on to Instagram and post these episodes. I'm always posting the links. Uh, I need to put a Weeble link up there as well. I'll try to make sure I do that this week. I'll throw a Weeble link up there. Get a Weeble account and use the link that I put in there because it'll give you some free stocks and me your free stock. So hook up your boy, okay? And use, like I said, it's good to have uh, multiple brokerages for different things, whether it be short-term investments, different kind of investments, like whether it's different kinds of stocks you want to have in a separate account or one for options. So my my Weeble has always been like my short-term thinking account, uh, my short-term play, more risky stuff, and now it's options. So if you don't have one, check it out, get it going. And uh, let me know if you need any help with that. I'll put the, I'll try to put a link in this episode. And uh, I think that's it, guys. I'm fucking exhausted. So I'm going to go to bed and uh, sleep for a few days. So take it easy, gang. We'll see you next week.